Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast. This is Tim. I am your host. This is episode four. Uh, this week is a question and answer episode between Steve and myself. Uh, but before we get started with that, I just wanted to share with you uh, a little story from Jerry. So Jerry was camping uh, and she uh, was talking to the guy in the campsite next door. He had a hankering for some Sunday morning service on Sunday morning. So how did you help him with that? Well, we were just talking about being Christians in a kind of a drunk environment at the lake. And he goes, man, I wish we had church. I told him, hey, I have a CD we could listen to together. So I went in my car and I grabbed out the CD of my pastor teaching. It was actually way back from the balloon fiesta. But anyway, the sermon was about um, clearing your heart out of unforgiveness and all that. And then at the end of it, Alan said... I have a word. I have a physical pain in my body for kidney healing. And if anybody has any pain in their kidneys, I think you're going to get healed. So that was the recording that you're listening to from last October. Right. And you're sitting at a campsite in the middle of nowhere at a lake, which means at least three hours from Albuquerque because <laughs> it takes at least three hours to get to any place to camp with water. Uh, and you're sitting there and suddenly on the recording is a word for somebody with kidney problems. Right. So he goes, man, my sister's in the camper, and I think she's trying to pass a kidney stone. And she's going to get ready to go home because she's miserable. So he goes, do you think that prayer would work? And I go, sure, why not? (laughs) So we go in the camper, and I just prayed real simply, Lord, just, um, you know, take this away from her, whether you dissolve it or have her pass it quickly. Just remove it so that um, she can finish enjoying the weekend. And then I left, and she took a nap, I guess. And a little while she came out, she said, you would not believe this, but I have no pain. And the whole rest of the weekend, she didn't have any pain. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. That is a God who heals. Uh, I love that question. Do you think that prayer would work? Even though the the, uh, word of knowledge came uh, eight months earlier and was now being heard on a recording three hours from where it had been given, the Lord absolutely answered that prayer. So that's awesome. Well, thanks, Jerry, so much. And we'll catch up with you again later. Um, As I said, this is uh, the first recording that we're going to do of this nature. We have just launched, in fact, available right now are the first three episodes of the Impact Nations podcast. Uh, This podcast will be a mix. Uh, There are going to be some recordings of Steve's teaching. I call him Dad. I'm going to call him Dad for the rest of the time. You can call him Steve. Uh, And so we'll we'll do a mix of some of the recordings, some of his teaching, and then we're going to mix in some question and answer periods like this so that we can dig a little deeper on some of these issues. I got some questions, and, you know, we'll just kind of go down some rabbit trails and see where we go. Um... And we'll do those maybe every three or four episodes. Uh, we'd encourage our listeners to email questions in uh, to podcast at impactnations.com. Uh, and we'll be taking those questions and we can bring them to, to this place here um, so that we've got some stuff to discuss that interests people. So if you're listening to the podcast and you've got questions, jot them down, send us an email, and we'll be sure to discuss them more in depth. Uh, so um, maybe just before we do that, you just got home two days ago uh, from a whirlwind tour to many places. Where, where were some of the places you've been? What have you been up to? Uh, well, it was a combination of work and some vacation and some more work. Um, in uh, four and a half weeks, I was in nine nations. And uh, uh, the most interesting stuff in terms of Impact Nations it would be the last... Mm, I don't know, 12 days. I was, uh, I went from Hungary to Bulgaria and I was in a city called Plovdiv, which um, they tell me is the sixth oldest city in Europe and it's 
filled with ruins. Um, they took me to a place, and there's this wall, and there's these ruins, and I don't even know what culture. And then above that is the Greek, and above that is the Romans, and above that is various invaders. And uh, it's a fascinating place. So I was there uh, preparing for a journey that we're going to do in the middle of September. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, I was, I was visiting a number of Roma communities. Many of our listeners would know that as Gypsy. They much prefer the name Roma. It's got kind of a bad racial overtone. And uh, the Roma communities are uh, all over. Bulgaria. In fact, there are there are a lot of East Af- uh, East uh, Eastern Europe. But I was in uh, as I went into them. What I noticed was how open everybody was. Again and again and again, just like happens in Africa, or you've been with me in India and seen this. People would just start to gather around, and mm-hmm. I just start to talk to them with a translator. And uh, always, but how how do they? Because in India, they gather around because it's obvious. There's a white dude. <laughs> and you stick up. Yeah. Now, do you look different from the Roma? Yeah, but I don't look different from the Bulgarians. The Romas actually look like uh, northern Indians oh. <laughs> because they came from North India yeah. in the 12th and 13th century. So how do they know to gather around just one more white? I do not know that part. <laughs> um, that is always a mystery to me, yeah. but it happens again and again. And so I end up get to pray for them and talk. We just have fun. But uh, the stark contrast between... The Bulgarians, yeah. and, and technically the Roma are Bulgarians, but they, the Bulgarians would never refer to them as Bulgarians. The contrast is huge. Yeah. Um, the One of the last ones I was in of the Roma communities is the largest in all of Europe, 70,000 people. Mm. Um, in a lot of ways, it felt like uh, some of the ghettos I go into with impact nations in the developing world. Um, I found out from, I met with five guys who started a church 22 years ago. They said it was two meters by three meters when they started, which is, that's <laughs> pretty small. Table. And uh, <coughs> um, they have a church of a couple hundred, and we're going to do, uh, do clinics there. But these guys give me some really good insights. For example, of the 70,000, 70% are unemployed. Yeah. Uh, just like you and I saw in India eight, nine weeks ago, uh, it's just filled with roaming children who have never gone to school and never will go to school. Yeah. And uh, that's a huge problem. Uh, there's no medical care because the Roma are not officially recognized as citizens, uh, of citizens of uh, uh, Bulgaria. Wow. And so they don't have medical care. We're going to yeah. go in and do clinics. Mm-hmm. Anyway, did that. And then I went up to, uh, from there I flew to Canada and I did a series of meetings on mm-hmm. the West Coast and had a first on uh, a couple of nights ago when I was uh, when I was flying home. <laughs> I was in Denver, got off the plane, getting ready to move to the next plane for Albuquerque. And as I was going down the walkway toward the airport, I heard somebody say, "Excuse me, are you Mr. Stewart?" And I turned around, and thought, "Oh, what did I do?" <laughs> and there's the uh, the airline captain, and he said, 
I was at your meeting last <laughs> night. We really enjoyed it. My wife and I would like to come on a journey. So that was a first. That Never was very that. cool. <laughs> so that's what I've been doing the last uh, few weeks. Awesome. Uh, well, we're glad to have you here. Uh, as I said, I think in our first episode, I, I started by saying, hey, we're going to uh, do our best to get you while you're in town because you're out of town for probably, I don't know, six months of the year. Or something. Yep. So while you're here, we're going to do these uh, <laughs> so that we've got something consistent to right. to release. Um, so let's dig into some questions that I've had listening in. And I'm, as I said, we'll go down some rabbit trails from here. But um, in the very first episode, uh, I introduced you uh, just talking about some of your, your history of preaching and teaching and stuff. But I, I mentioned that you're a spiritual father to many all over the world now. Um, that's a term, I mean, I used it, but I'd, I'd like to know a little bit more about what it means. Uh, I hear it used. Um, what does it mean in the current context? Does it have a historical context? Um, what do you think? When you, when you say you're a spiritual father to others, what are you, what are you thinking? How okay. would you define that? Well, um, first of all, uh, it has it goes all the way back to the early church, and it and is consistent uh, the concept of spiritual fathers and mothers. Second of all, I have always been reluctant to call myself a spiritual father. I'm not very interested in titles, um, but the reality is that I have a number, a growing number of of men and women in different nations who who call me bad and look to me for that. And what does that mean? Uh, it means different things to different people. Uh, certainly, they usually set the parameters for it more than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that it, it's uh, a place where they can they can call me, and they do all the time, and call and write with with questions. They can be ministry questions. They can be personal questions, family. Um, uh, they can be questions about the scripture. Any of these things. But it comes out of their openness. You know, I've had different times, and it's always always a bit of a, I don't know what to say. It's not a struggle, but I always go, oh, when people say to me, I want you to know I see you as my spiritual father. And uh, I take it as a very big responsibility. Of course, they become a significant part of my prayer life. Um, there, I'm going to respond to them right away if they write me or email me or or something. Um, I think I had I had two spiritual fathers in my life, and uh, and you knew them when you were a boy. Yeah, and one of them was Pastor Bob Birch, mm-hmm. who really found himself at the at the center of the charismatic movement mm-hmm. on the West Coast, and uh, he stayed a spiritual father years. For me, later when I was planting churches, I instinctively had him fly across the country to be with me. And from him, I learned, I learned about prayer. I learned about pursuing the depths of God. And uh, and my other one was Dr. John White, mm-hmm. who wrote many books. Some of the people listening to this maybe have read some of his books. Um, and. He was a wonderful, wonderful man to me. And, of course, they're both gone now. But uh, I know how much I was enriched at every level uh, by having spiritual fathers. And so, I, though I would never pursue it, I would be very uncomfortable if somebody was kind of pursuing, saying, oh, I'm going to be your spiritual father. Right, yeah. I, I think I'd head for the hills if I ever saw that. But when people turn and you have to recognize the work of God and you go, mm-hmm. okay. 
And uh, so that increasingly, by the way, as, as, uh, as I'm getting older, uh, that is increasingly part of my ministry. And I get on airplanes and I go spend time with spiritual kids. Yeah. Is there a, a biblical model or example of that? Like I'm thinking uh, yeah. Paul and Timothy would be an Paul obvious and, one Paul to and me. Timothy yeah. is, Paul and Timothy is classic um, because he articulates that yeah. specifically. He uh, speaks of several people. If you see it in uh, the pastoral epistles, uh, if you look at the end of uh, 1 Corinthians, you look at the end of... of um, Romans, you, you see there's this relationship. And, you know, we can go all the way back. I mean, uh, Moses and Joshua, uh, Elijah and Elisha. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, there's a long tradition. Is there, you mentioned <laughs> one caution, which is you'd be pretty uncomfortable if somebody's pursuing somebody else as a spiritual father, saying, yes. I, I want, I'm going to be your spiritual father. Because yes. like, there's room for manipulation or abuse there, Absolutely. too, right? This is... But at the same time, for those who are wanting to be discipled, which I think is a similar term but not exactly the same, but wanting to pursue uh, that type of relationship, they need to pursue it. They need to you. You can't just sit idly by and say, "Gee, I wish I had a spiritual father." It's how do you how do you look for how do you know when when you, there's somebody? I mean, if you're if you've got a yearning inside of you to grow in the Lord and to uh, mature in your faith, yeah. how do you say, "Boom, that's the guy I want to follow"? Oh boy, that's a great one. Um, first of all, I think it's got to be a work of the Spirit. Yeah. Um, I think you find yourself drawn to someone and drawn to the way they follow Christ. Um, maybe that's that's what you hear coming out of them in terms of their own relationship with the Lord. Maybe it's the fruit in their lives. Um, I, as a father, for years, even before I ever thought of that term, like 25, 30 years ago, all my years of pastoring church planning, I always asked the Lord, who do you want me to give myself to now? Mm -hmm. And he always raised up. In my mind, I would just see people, and I wouldn't pursue them. I would make myself available. You know, it's interesting. I, I found that always. It yeah. just happened to me again last week in Bulgaria. You know, if I, I just kind of whisper, if you want to spend some time, and if it's something born of the Spirit, they just hear that as a trumpet call and, they, and something starts to build. If it isn't, they don't really hear that, and I don't pursue that at all. Sure. How often, like, are, the, are you... Talking once a month, you have a chat on the phone. Once a year, with, or, with individuals, yeah, with people that that like if somebody if you're going to call somebody your spiritual father, and I don't know, there's no formula for it, yeah. but you know, if it's somebody you see once every two years and you never talk to them, that's that's then goofy. That's, but, yeah, absolutely, that's just religious claptrap. Yeah, um, <laughs> to use a technical <laughs> theological term, uh, I. It depends if there's if they're going through specific issues. I may talk to them two, three times a week. Yeah. Uh, that's not the norm. I'm, you know, we're in a wonderful time. FaceTime has changed everything. And after a couple of minutes, just about the distance you and I are, it feels just like that when yeah. we're talking on, on our phones or tablets. Um, I, you know, I'd be talking to people once a month uh, or more. Um, and as I said, I'm praying for them. Um, there has to be real... Um, Real time spent and real, real relationship. And you know, I always find that 
Spiritual direction has got two main components to it. It's got encouragement and it's got challenge. Hmm. And if you miss either side, um, I think it's incomplete. So there's, there's got to, everything's got to be rooted in encouragement. You've heard me talk about that lots in the past. But, uh, but there also needs to be challenge because we're, we're called to grow in God. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think of Paul. He certainly didn't pull any punches when <laughs> talking to his guys. And, yeah. you know, who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians, was pretty <laughs> subtle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I always wondered what he meant by that. <laughs> Uh, just moving on to it, I mean, it was only a few minutes later in that episode, but you you started out on John's prologue, which was yeah. uh, verses 1 through 18 of, of John's gospel, yep. and it's unlike anything else in the gospels. <coughs> yep. uh, but you said something that piqued my interest. So this is a simple question, but you, you said you referred to it as a hymn, uh, uh. and... Uh, and then you referred also to uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 20 as a hymn. But how do you know it was a hymn? Like, how do we, 2,000 years after these writings, how do we know that that was a hymn? And how do you define a hymn? Like, I, when I think of a hymn, I'm thinking of a, you know, turn to uh, number 158 in your in your hymn book, and yeah. we're going to sing, and the lady behind me is going to sing way too loud because we're finally singing the song she likes. There you but, go. <laughs> but what, what is, when you say this was one of the first hymns, yeah. what does that mean? Okay. Uh, in part, uh, I'm leaning into um, scholarship and tradition. Yeah. But the basis of that scholarship and tradition is that they look at the language, and these things are, are self-contained. Um, they look at uh, a, a parallelism. There's a lots of parallelism, which there is in all hymns. Mm-hmm. Um, they're structured as hymns. And... Um, the other thing, the strongest thing about most of the New Testament hymns, probably all of them, they're very Christ-centered. Mm. They are about Christ. Uh, probably the three most famous, you just referenced two of them, the prologue, Colossians 1, 15-20, which might be my favorite six verses. Um, the other one that's very, very well-known is uh, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, what's called the kenosis. We'll talk about that later on in this series. Um, but these, the scholarship tells us these are pretty likely, those hymns, because you know Paul talks many times about, uh, when he's talking to the church, he says about singing hymns mm-hmm. and singing songs. And these uh, scholars tell us, and it seems pretty clear to me that that's what these are. So he sings sing hymns and spiritual songs. Yeah. What do you, what's the difference between a hymn and a spiritual song? And do we still do that? Oh, great. Well, that all depends if you're charismatic or not. <laughs> if you're a charismatic, you're very sure spiritual songs are those you just make up at, right. the, at the moment. Yeah. And if you're not, maybe you're less sure. Um, so the, the honest answer is, I'm, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think of spiritual songs as being much more free flow. Mm, okay. But But that's just because I come from... Uh, you know, my formative years were, were in a charismatic sure. tradition. You said something a minute ago, though, that I think was <coughs> really important. I, I'm going to try not to get on my soapbox here, but you you said uh, that hymns were uh, one of the marks of a hymn was it was very Christ focused. Ah, and uh, I think a lot of our modern spiritual songs, if you will, are not. I think they're very me focused. They're uh, they may refer to Christ and how he makes me feel and how I experience him, but it's 
I mean, you just look at the pronouns in the songs, and it's it's very clearly this song is about me, and it kind of drives me nuts. <laughs> uh, so, you know, sometimes, and I'm I'm only in my late thirties. I didn't actually really sing my first hymn until I was in my thirties. I just, you know, my upbringing was in the charismatic church. We sang spiritual songs and not hymns, um, and so I'm not the kind of guy. Right, you got to sing hymns. That's the only way, but. There's something that comes alive in me when we sing some hymns. Yeah. I think because they are they're, there's something about them that focuses on Christ in a way that a lot of a lot of our modern songs, not all. I, I certainly don't mean to throw away the baby with the bathwater, but is that something that people need to be just spending more time thinking about? Like, what are the, when we go to church, when we gather as a as a church family, what are the songs we're singing? What are we, you know what I mean? Like, how do we? Yeah. How do we do better at that, I guess, is my question. So you kept saying you're getting tired of singing songs about me, you said. Yeah. I'm getting tired of singing songs about Tim as well. <laughs> um, I mean, you're my son. Come on. That's a bit much, eh? Um, yeah, isn't it interesting? You just did a lot of things there. It's interesting because, of course, I had no idea where we were going this morning. And, and when I got in my car I uh, to drive to the office, I put on hymns mm-hmm. because they're so rich. Um, and in fact, just to tweak what you said, years ago when you used to lead worship at one of the churches that I planted, uh, I asked you to kind of modernize, contemporize some of the hymns, which mm-hmm. you were very good at. Um, I would agree with you. Um, I think that 21st century worship, by and large, um, is is very much what you just said. It's about how does it make me feel? And, you know, you're my breath. You make me feel so good. And I, one of the things I love, because I go to so many churches, some of the churches I go to are, and not many of them, but a few are so Mm Christ-centered in their worship, and it just fills me. You see, as, as, as long as we look inward, it's interesting. I was reading, I was reading in, uh, Exodus 4, a couple of days ago. And he said, Moses says to, to the Lord, he says, well, how is anybody going to believe? And he says, well, take your rod, your staff, throw it on the ground, turns it into a snake. Wow. And then he says, now put your hand inside over your heart and pull it out and it's leprous. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm just using it as an example. I don't think it's the primary meaning of that. But, but if we look inward, it's a dead end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a dead end. We are, where life comes is just focusing on, on Christ. The second person of the triune God mm-hmm. is just is marvelous. Um, you know, I think that we've got off the mark. I think an awful lot of church is about, I'm going to go and so I'll feel better when yeah. I come home. And it, it's a good service if I feel better than when I went in. Yeah. And that is just a terrible litmus test. Uh, it's about worshiping the Lord. Hmm. All right, so bring it around. Here's a softball. Um, you're, you've taught the prologue. You, you did it in, I think, about 40 minutes or so. There's probably a lot more you want to say. <laughs> yeah. Just to get you started, the, the very first words are in the beginning, which is, of course, really, I think, designed to immediately, the reader knows, oh, in the beginning, we're right back to Genesis 1 here. Yep. And so he's... 
he begins to paint this overarching story. And yes. I think one of the ways that we can be less inward focused and more focused on Christ is what's the whole story? What is the story of God at work in the world? Uh, and how has Christ been at work since the very beginning? How has the triune God been at work, the three persons of God been at work in harmony together since the very beginning? And that's that's exactly where John starts. That's where John starts. That's why I'm spending, it's now been months and months on it. And as long as I spend on each chapter, I feel like I've had to rush, you hmm. know, um, because of the work of of Christ, and by the way, it, we translate it that world in most translations, and it's cosmos with a K, mm-hmm. and it really means all of creation, all of creation. It always fascinates me, you know, that the, the universe is always expanding, always, mm-hmm. and of course because it reflects an infinite Creator. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, uh, as I, as I said in the uh, in the recording. Uh, on the prologue, I think it is, it's one of the passages that, that I think every believer needs to immerse themselves in again and again and again. Because the, the longer I've been in this thing, 42 years, the bigger he gets, the mm-hmm. bigger he gets. I always think of uh, Mark 4, you know, when he calms down the wind and the waves and he lies down again and they say, who is this? Mm. And that's the overarching question, and he's absolutely huge. And in the beginning, not only reflects Genesis, but it takes us back to the pre-incarnate Christ. One of the things that comes through, I hope, in this series I'm doing, is that we have too small of a view of Christ, way too small. Yeah. And uh, and again, I don't know every church, but I get to be in a lot of churches. I think. We evangelicals have too small of a view. We tend to think of of it all starts in like Luke one, and and it doesn't, because Christ Christ is from before time, from before time. One of the things is when that, when I saw this, uh, it has so profoundly impacted the way I read the Old Testament. I see him page after page after page. And he just gets deeper and higher and wider and longer. Sounds like Ephesians 3, right? (laughs) Um, So for me, uh, the first point in this prologue is he is beyond time, before time. Hmm. One of the messages I sometimes preach is Christ beyond space, time, and matter. Um, It's a teaser for some other day, I guess. (laughs) But, But the other thing that comes through all the way through John is that Christ is fully God fully, he is he is the 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 second person of the Trinity. I was I was in Athens two and a half weeks ago, and uh, we had a day. We went around look at all the stuff, and and it kind of opened my eyes. I felt like the Lord is showing me something in in the um, the pantheon. You know that that kind of shallow triangle. That mm-hmm. you see in classical, and then when I was on, I was in other European cities, and I saw it everywhere. But but the the Greeks used it and filled it with their their whole collection of their major gods. And this is like in the architecture at the yeah. top of yeah. of buildings and things. And yeah. so, and I was really close to a huge one that you couldn't contain in three of these rooms. Mm. And and Zeus was always like the head guy, and then you know worked out. I think too often evangelicals, we have a bit of a 
pantheon view. There's God the Father, and then there's God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that is, that's not right. God isn't like a trinity. He is trinity. Mm. If we do not understand him um, as trinity, we do not understand God. So these are kind of some of the things that that um, John will will unpack again and again and again through the remainder of his gospel. So why does it matter? I mean, if, if I'm... Uh you know, a Christian who's growing in my faith and things like that. Why is it important to continue to dig into this mystery of, of the triune God? Oh, well, um... How does it change my everyday life? Okay, that's a great question. That's a great question. It changes everybody's life differently, I'm sure. <clears throat> it has, for me personally, it has profoundly impacted my prayer life. Mm-hmm. It has, uh, it has help to make me more aware of the movement of God all day, every day, everywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, I was saying to some people in Canada at a conference, I don't know, four days ago, that, that one of the things I love about St. Francis of Assisi, and there are many things I do, is but, but that he defined true spiritual maturity as admiration for others. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Rec- and by that he meant recognizing the the work and the presence of God in everything. So I think that that that's one thing that happens for me with the whole Trinitarian thing. In terms of understanding Jesus Christ as Christ God, um, we talked, you know, in the recording on, on something called hypostasis, the complete merging mm-hmm. of, of God and man. And that, by the way, was something that that the church wrestled with for uh, almost 400 years. But what it means is he did not, it wasn't like he was God and then he came down as man and then he went back to being God. He is fully, and everything did change in the incarnation. What it means now is that there is a man in the Trinity. Hmm. And we'll talk more about that as this thing goes on. But but a man in the Trinity has everything to do with the inclusive heart of God, because uh, uh, you know early early church fathers are, are trying to find language for the Trinity. They they talked about the divine dance or the dance of God, and it's this activity, this continual otherness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that we are invited into that. So, you know, in two minutes, I'm trying to tell you sure. why this has been such an amazing journey. But I think that's one of the biggest things. You know how incredible he is? Because evangelicals, we still think, like, wow, that he fed the 5,000. And that <laughs> is great. And you, you know that I've seen him do that. And, wow, he, he healed the blind. And that's wonderful. And, and I've seen him do that more times than I could count. So when he said, you're going to do greater works, he really meant you're going to get to do what I do. And all those things are wonderful. But what is most wonderful to me is he is and always was and always will be fully God. So that while he's feeding the 5,000, while he prays for the leper and he's cleansed at the very same moment, Colossians tells us, he's holding all of the cosmos together. Mm. It's, it's, you know, uh, we'll never understand it this side of eternity, but it's a, it's a great uh, journey to be on. Yeah. Hmm. 
Well, let's pause for a minute. I like to do a little little commercial uh, partway through these <coughs> podcasts. Folks who have already listened to some of these know that. Um, in episode one, the commercial was for Journeys of Compassion. I'd like to just talk about them again because we've got you here. You lead many of our journeys. You've been doing it for 12, 13 years. Um, so I just want to remind people again, uh, the Impact Nations is taking teams from all over the world. Uh, I was in India in March, we had a team that I think represented eight different nations yeah, in did. one team of about 30 people. Uh, so we take teams. Uh, we've got a team right now in Uganda. Uh, and we go and we we bring this holistic gospel to a people who are in desperate need of uh, of. Uh, you know, meeting their needs as far as clean water and medicine, but also they they need the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, and we bring it all together in yep. one package. And yep. so, what what we do with the journey is we bring uh, we bring people who are longing to step into what the Lord has called us all to go and make disciples. They're longing to step into the activity of heaven uh, and and do it with others who are, are growing in their faith as well. And so, we go as a team uh, and we start doing medical clinics, uh, bringing medicine and uh, things to people who might otherwise not have any access to any medical care. Uh, we bring clean water to people. I mean, everywhere we go. I was hearing about a, a community in uh, Uganda the other day. We went and, and distributed water filters where the, where the water was is literally killing people. And so to bring the gift of clean water to people. And these filters uh, provide a lifetime of clean water, effectively. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, and they can, because people share with their neighbors, it, it reaches, uh, you know, sometimes a couple dozen people one filter um but everywhere we go I and mean, sometimes we're doing feeding programs or uh small construction projects or whatever but everywhere we go we're 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 saying we're here because jesus sees you uh and he loves you yeah. and he he's longing to be with you yeah. and so we you know we say hey this gift of water or this gift of healing because i mean everywhere we go people get healed uh, blind eyes are open deaf ears are open the crippled are walking uh things like that but you know that's the beginning that that was a gift from jesus and he's got one more gift for you would you like that too and introducing them into uh, a walk with with their savior and then of course always um, people probably get tired of me harping on this but always everywhere we go we're working with local churches to make sure that there's always ongoing discipleship because i don't believe you don't believe that you know salvation is i prayed a prayer i put up my hand in a field one night and now i you know everything's going to be a-okay yeah. uh, it's entering into a lifelong journey with a heavenly father Father, uh, and so we've got pastors and, and stuff who are calling people to uh, to long time discipleship. So anyway, I just I want to tell people again: journeys of compassion are going to transform the community that you're going to. Uh, you're going to rescue lives in the immediate. Everywhere we go, there's always at least one child in the medical clinics who's like on death's door. We had one yesterday. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We had one that that uh, the head of the medical came uh, and said this. Uh, this uh, boy was hours from death. Yeah. And so we're able to get get them to the hospital where they can get yeah. proper yep. care and everything. Absolutely. So, I mean, we're literally rescuing lives right there in the moment. Uh, we're 
bringing long-term transformation because it's the beginning of something. There's something about it's like the Holy Spirit comes in and kickstart a movement in in that community, and we can come back a year later. And this happened in India. We were in a village, and I asked the guys, "Hey, how's it going?" And they complained. They said, "Well, it's all right. We keep running into Christians, though," and they were annoyed because there just wasn't enough people to share the gospel with. But what they didn't realize was that only a year earlier there was one believer in that village, uh, and so it was just seeing the fruit. And now of there's a journey. 26 house churches, <laughs> 26 house about churches. 500 believers. That's mind-boggling. Yeah. Uh, and so there's long-term transformation that happens. But also, those who go on a journey are changed forever. And we, I mean, how often do you just, we hear, this changed my life. And they go back home, uh, and they are able to ask that all-important question, can I pray for you? And yep. suddenly, everywhere they go, they're just, I mean, we just heard a great example of Jerry at the beginning of this episode saying, hey, you know, I heard about a guy saying, my sister's got a kidney stone and she's in great pain. What does she say? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for her? Let's go pray for her right now. She does. And of course, the Lord shows up and there's healing and it's marvelous stuff. Yep. So people who go on journeys are changed forever too. So anyway, Journeys of Compassion, uh, go to uh, www.impactnations.org slash J-O-C. Uh, you'll see our upcoming schedule. Uh, uh, pick a journey and come because you'll have a time of your life. Yeah, uh, and that's my commercial for today. Good um, commercial. <laughs> so, um, there's I got so many questions and we're we're going longer than I thought, which is okay because we can do more of this. Um, the next question I have for you was at the beginning of episode two. You started talking about the historical critical method uh, oh, yeah. and you, you know this idea that scripture only has one meaning and that's it um, so I hear what you're saying because I think I absolutely there are depths to be plumbed in in these scriptures my concern though is and this happens a lot in the evangelical church is you get this well this is what this scripture means to me and again it comes down to that uh that individualistic society that we live in which is that you know well this word was written just for me and the next thing you know we're taking scriptures way out of context and applying them in a way that they were never intended to be applied so how do we hold those two things in tension how do we guard against that and yet continue to dig deeper into the scriptures to find some of those additional uh, hidden meanings, question. if you will. It's a good question. You know, I was just reading this morning, again, I, before I knew what you were going to ask, uh, I was reading about uh, uh, Jesus teaching through parables. And in fact, if you look in the Old Testament, they often use parables. The word parable um, quite literally means uh, allegory, metaphor, hidden meaning. Hmm. And that's how Jesus taught uh, according to, uh, oh, I think it's in Matthew 13, he says, and he wouldn't teach them without parables, you know. Yeah. So Jesus didn't seem to have any problem with, with various and depth of meaning. Where we need to be careful is, as you said, that we can just go off on our own rabbit trail. That's why I encourage people to study and study church tradition. You know, I, I read, um, I, I read, even the earliest church fathers. I, I'm just going through the writings of Clement, who was a direct spiritual son, back to that, <laughs> of, of of Paul in Corinth. We look at church tradition. We look at, you know, the church fathers alone, that's at least 800 years. And, uh, and I think we as evangelicals, it's like if it's before Martin Luther and the 95 Theses, it doesn't matter. And, mm-hmm. and that that's crazy, and frankly, it can drive me nuts. Because you you need to understand and look at the history 
of theology. And by the way, the historical critical method isn't bad, but it's only one method. And, and I know that, that for me, I came from a, a fairly Calvinist kind of tradition after I came to Christ. It was a funny mix. It was kind of Calvinist, charismatic, that we were just scared silly of anything that wasn't very, very literal and very two-dimensional. And that that really, really didn't gain a lot until um, probably the 18th century, late 18th century, part of the whole age of reason. So that's the answer to your question. Study, I think study Bibles are terrifically important. And Mm -hmm. don't just get one, get them from different traditions. Um, And and it also kind of takes us back to what you said earlier about having mentors, having spiritual Mm -hmm. fathers and mothers who have been in the faith for a long time and uh, bounce things off, you know. Um, I gave you a quote that I came across just yesterday. Um, He is a fool who has himself as a spiritual father. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So surrounding yourself with other believers, uh, certainly looking for mentors to help you through scriptures and bouncing ideas. Hey, I read this this morning. This is kind of what I felt like it was mm-hmm. meaning or saying, or even this is what it meant to me today, is, is a worthwhile conversation to have. It's just don't get locked into, you know, well, I felt like the Lord said this to me today. And, it's, and this is what it means. Yeah, I got a revelation yeah, on this. Because yeah. that just yeah. kind of makes me a little nervous, to me be honest. Me too. Um, what are, what's a, like for me when I'm listening to a sermon, uh, I get a little cautious when uh, preachers bouncing back and forth. Uh, I like expository preaching as my preference. You know, let, mm-hmm. give me a passage and let's just work through it. There are other preachers, and this is okay, who will uh, do more of a topic, mm-hmm. and then they're bouncing from scripture to scripture. What I tend to do this is my personal practice, is if we're bouncing from Scripture to Scripture, maybe you're going to give me one or two verses out of Ephesians, and then we're jumping to Matthew, and then we're going to go back to Isaiah or whatever, is I'm making notes, and then I'm going back, and I'm checking to see the the way this Scripture was brought up. Was Is that really what the intent yeah. of the Context author was? Context is yeah. everything. Yeah. Context is everything. Yeah. And so I, I would encourage readers, when, when reading the Bible and you feel like, either if you're getting teaching on, on a particular passage, and you know double-check and make sure that the context you're getting is correct, but, or if you're just reading in your personal time and you and something jumps out at you and you feel like this is what the Lord's saying to you today, uh, because I absolutely believe that the Holy Spirit, these scriptures yeah. were Holy Spirit inspired, yeah. and they are our reading of them is inspired by the Spirit, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, it's easy for us to get excited about something or read. You know, there's the old, <laughs> I need a word from the Lord today. I'm going to open up the Word and this is, and then now I'm going to decide oh, what that means. I highly recommend that method. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, but when you're reading, ask just ask. Ask yourself again, what was the context of this particular Frankly, what I, I encourage people to do, what I do today, this morning, um, as I just take a moment or two and I'm just <laughs> talking to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I always say, Holy Spirit, would you please shine your light today? Yeah. And he does. The other thing, to, so that we don't go down the road, I've always encouraged people, have a Bible with cross-references. Mm-hmm. So that when I look at that verse, I can see it in context, but I can also follow where did he say that? Maybe Paul or Jesus. Where did he say that elsewhere? Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, how I. That's good. That. 
Uh, okay, we're we're getting short on time, but I want to keep going a little bit. I got a okay. few few kind of rapid fire <laughs> questions for All you, right. and if we need more time in a later episode, we can discuss them further. But uh, episode three, uh, you were discussing uh, chapter two of John, uh, the wedding feast. Oh yeah, and uh, you talked about this is significant that it was the seventh day. Of, oh yeah, and it was the day of fulfillment. And I'll be, I'm just going to be really honest. I, you know, part of me was like, oh, here we go, because I get, you know, there's a lot of in some of the prophetic movements and stuff yeah, there's yeah, this yeah. significance of numbers and ooh it's the you know and I, <laughs> I'm sorry but I just it's not my thing and I don't quite get it now that could just be ignorance um, either A am I just being a, I need to embrace this or B is there an in between ground is there some of this stuff that is uh, contextually significant uh, that we need to know about from the from the Hebrew culture that, that this was coming from yes Super. All right, moving okay. on. <laughs> you said it was rapid fire. Yes, uh, John. John wastes nothing, as you've heard me say multiple yep. times. And and uh, seven. The day of fulfillment is not out there weirdo stuff. That's just that's the Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christ is now the Sabbath. We'll get into that another day. But but it's seven is very significant because of the whole. Uh, creation story. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm with you. There's all kinds of numbers for everything. And I remember some guy told me 11 is prophecy. And I go, what? <laughs> but maybe I'm wrong. But seven's really important. And um, if anybody wants to know, I wrote it down here. How did he get to seven? Because somebody wrote me when they saw on, on our Facebook. Oh, okay. Uh, if you count them up, John 1, 19 is the first day. Uh, John 1, 29 is the second day, 35 is the third day, uh, 43 is the fourth day, and John 2 begins with, and after three days. It adds up to seven. <laughs> that is you do the excellent math. math. Thank you. I, it's a little nerdy, but if you <laughs> yeah, can follow. <laughs> um, good. Uh, this one might be bigger, and so maybe we need to... I don't know. Give us the short answer, and if we need to go further, we can. But... Uh, you talked about the fulfillment of the messianic yeah. age, and uh, you, you reference uh, Isaiah two and, uh, and Micah four, and this you know this superabundance. Like the the day is coming when yes. uh, you know basically war's over and everybody's happy is kind of the <laughs> the message version of it, if you will. But okay. uh, it's this. You talked about superabundance and yeah. things like that, and Jesus is basically saying. Uh, I don't know if he's announcing this is the the beginning of it or if he's hinting at it. Give us a little bit more because bluntly, I'm looking around the world and we're yeah. certainly not in a time of superabundance and everybody's happy, happy, no. joy, joy. No. So what is it? Are we in the messianic age? Okay. Is it to come? Where are we? We are in, to use George Eldon Ladd's classic phrase, the already and the not yeah. yet. We're in the in-between time. And uh, the kingdom has come, but it has not fully come. Uh, it is increasing um, but that's that's what he's talking about. What I what I'd like to real quickly take a couple of moments on, and I just jotted down some notes because I knew you were going to ask me um, the fulfillment of the messianic age. Remember uh, in uh, Matthew eleven, John sends his guys to say, "Are you the coming one?" Yeah. That means the Messiah. That's that's Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. So when Jesus hangs on the cross in John's gospel, he says, it is finished, Mm -hmm. right? It's done. And here's what was done on the cross. His death was victory uh, over death. And that's obvious because he was resurrected. 
How do we know it's victory over death? He was resurrected. And with that, um, the nature of death has been destroyed. You see, he destroyed the principalities and powers. He destroyed the work of the enemy. He classically, um, we would say, he destroyed the work of Satan, sin, and death. So here's the difference. Up until that moment when people died, they died. They entered into death. In one sense, we can still die, right? We all know that. But we can't be dead. I am in I am never dead. Hmm. I, I that's what Christ that's what the resurrection is all about. That's what Paul's trying to tell. I was just reading first, second Thessalonians, he's telling them no. So we can die, but we can't be dead. The second thing where he defeated the enemy and where everything changed, this age of fulfillment at the cross, was that the the age of sacrifice, the sacrificial systems were destroyed. And therefore, wherever the gospel is preached and received, religion is no more. It has changed. Hmm. It's not based on sacrifice. It's it's victory. So um, let me see what else I've got here. So let me ask you that, just, just to pause yeah. right there. The, the, the religious systems of sacrifice are over. But just as a follow-up question, do we in 21st century North America and perhaps elsewhere in the world that you visit, uh, are we still living as though we're not really in that age of yes. fulfillment? Like, you know, yes. how often do we hear non-believers and I think believers too kind of have this concept of, well, I've got to do my sacrifice. I've got to please yes. the God in heaven or he's going to get mad at me. I, was, I was preaching in a church uh, in Europe just in the last few weeks, and I was talking about this incredible victory of the cross, and I'm talking about uh, Jesus Christ full of grace and truth. Remember, yeah. Paul used, uh, John uses that expression twice. And, and, and there was, uh, and I spoke that over them, and I taught it, and there was, people were just kind of going, wow, you know. And then the pastor gets up and says, well, that's true, but... Um, we have to be holy because he's a holy God, and he'll get angry if we're not holy. And da 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 da. I I I preach everywhere. God is never disappointed in you, and he's never angry with you. And to me, it goes all the way back to the cross, because because the enemy uses guilt and shame, mm-hmm. and those are those are done. So I. That's a huge topic for another. It's really day. big. I want to get back to it, but 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 I do believe that we we use language that says we believe in grace but but we don't really we haven't internalized that yeah and uh, god's happier with me if i've prayed today and if i read my bible and it's just not true yeah um and i also here let me jump ahead can yeah. i anticipate something yeah <laughs> question that i get asked a lot is well if if he was victorious at the cross over sin, over the, the Satan, sin and death. Well, I just told you that I can die, but I can't be dead. It all changed there. And the resurrection confirmed that. That's like the Father's verdict on the cross, right? Mm-hmm. But why is there still all this stuff going on, which you alluded to a few mm-hmm. minutes ago? 
Well, the victory over the cross was over Satan's sin and death. It was not over human will. Yeah. And a loving God, a loving God, a truly loving God has got to allow free will in people, and I would say in the whole cosmos. And... Um, <laughs> Well, I was about to go down a whole thing. We don't have time to do that. But it's not victory over over um, human will. So that's why all these things go on. Now, what is the means, the, the already and the not yet? We're moving into that. And what is the means? It is Christ in me, hmm. the hope of glory. It is Christ in me. So that with the means of Isaiah 2... Micah 4, Isaiah 65, Revelation 21, 22. The means of that is, is those of us who understand the victory at the cross and that Christ is in me, Colossians 1, 27, and we are the means of that victory. You alluded earlier at the, at the, at the commercial break. You know, you and I both know this year we might get to half a million people. We've got clean water. To, we've surpassed 400,000. That is a means that I don't even know how many people we've seen come to Christ and healed this year, and it's only the end of May. That is, the, we are the means of everything being rescued, reconciled, and restored. And that's what we need to understand. And that's why we have moved from the already to the not yet, and we're on that in-between time. Let me just probably finish with this. Church, we, the, the gospel is filled with paradox. Is, the, is not the cross itself the ultimate paradox? The ultimate paradox, right? Is it, is it defeat or is it victory? Mm. Well, it's victory, but it's paradox. And we have a great deal of trouble with paradox. And so the church, and I would have to say probably especially the evangelical church, we, we can't, we try to break that tension and we tend to fall off either to the side of the good old days. Well, God did great things in the past. I'm sure he'll do it again. Or the, the whole prophetic thing. Soon he's going to do something. Soon, If I had a dollar for every time I heard that one. Soon, soon, <laughs> soon. And Jesus says today is the day of salvation. And, and the paradox of following Christ is the paradox of strength and weakness, success and failure, joy and pain. Mm -hmm. I spent this weekend teaching in part, as they asked me to teach on compassion, I said the road to compassion is, is marked by brokenness, pain, suffering. Um, Richard Rohr says pain is the rent we pay for being human. Hmm. <laughs> and so, but we tend to want to break that tension because it makes us uncomfortable. John's gospel is brilliant around this not only holistic gospel, but the paradox. Yeah. And in the midst, at the end of it, we come up, victory. He starts in the prologue with victory. He finishes with victory. Yeah. And I, I think uh, I, <coughs> so many rabbit trails to go down, but uh, in, the, in the prosperity gospel, there. Uh, is a great minimization of that pain. Like it doesn't. We're victory, victory, victory. It's yep. all yours to. You can have it yep. all, and it completely ignores the fact that there, the road to compassion includes pain. That's really yep. good. 
Good. Well, I probably am going to have more questions out of this conversation, so we'll have to do another one of these soon. Um, but uh, for those uh, who are watching on Facebook Live right now, uh, again, uh, check out impactnations.org slash podcast. Uh, you can find uh, a subscribe button right there on uh, iTunes, Google, uh, Stitcher, uh, the RSS feed if you're super high-tech kind of a person. Um, but it makes it super easy. It's also embedded right there on our website. So if you, wanna, if you don't know how to find the podcast app in your phone, for instance, uh, you can just listen right on our web website as well. So uh, this episode will be going uh, up on the podcast feeds in the next 24 hours. Um, basically, every Thursday you can expect uh, for the next little while, we'll, we'll do seasons of, I don't know, 14, 16 episodes or so, just um, but bouncing back and forth between some teaching and then some follow-up questions. And again, if you have some questions, uh, email podcast at impactnations.com, and we'll be sure to bring them up in our next session. So thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for giving us your time thank you for giving us your time and that's all we have for today all right 